Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, so I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to PrettyLitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Brianna Taylor, Charlena Lyles, Corin Gaines, Sandra Bland, Alexia Christian, Maya Hall, Megan Hockaday, Tanisha Fonville, Natasha McKenna, Tanisha Anderson, Aura Rosser, Shanique Proctor, Michelle Chuzo. Curly Golden, Gabriella Navarez, Yvette Smith, Miriam Carey, Kayam Livingston, Kayla Moore, Shelly Fry, Frey, Melissa Williams, Alicia Thomas, Chantel Davis, Charmel Edwards. Rikia Boyd, Sharice Francis, Ayana Stanley Jones, Tarika Wilson, Katherine Johnston, Alberta Spruel, Kendra James, Latanya Haggerty, Margaret Laverne Mitchell, Taisha Miller, Danette Daniels. Frankie Ann Perkins, Stonji Taylor, Eleanor Bompers. These are the women, black women who have been murdered, killed by police, dating all the way back to 1984. And today on Beyond Surviving, we are going to take a moment to pause and really presence these women their lives, their stories, and their names. 
We are going to be exploring the intersection of the Me Too movement and the Black Lives Matters movement. And I have here with me someone who I love so very dearly, uh, Mrs. Latia Parker. Say hi, Latia. Hello, everyone. Latia <laughs> is first and foremost um, just an amazing woman. She is full of love, full of grace and wisdom. And I had the great honor of walking alongside Latia as her coach. She's a Beyond Surviving graduate. And um, as I was thinking about, you know, everything that's been going on in the world right now here in June 2020 um, with the Black Lives Movement, I, um, I just knew that I wanted to have a conversation today um, to explore this. And I knew that Latia was the person who I needed to have come and have this conversation with me. She has um, founded SOAR Speak Out Against Rape in 2009. Um, she has been um, at the, the heart of the civil rights movement. And um, I just want to dive right in and, and have a conversation today, Latia, to explore this topic and to really honor the women. Um, part of what also set off this conversation today is Latia sent me an article um, that was really taking a close look at why are black women being um, kind of left out of the conversation. Um, so Latia, maybe let's start with just um, introducing yourself a little more and, and letting people get to know you a little bit here. Well, um, my name is Latia Parker. I can add Stuart to that now because I just recently got married. <laughs> so, um, yes, and I founded SOAR in 2009, which is Speak Out Against Rape, as a campaign to basically prevent and raise awareness about sexual assault. And in that, um, we found such a need for so many other resources that so many people still needed help. So we founded Flourish, which is um, an organization that's up and coming to help people move forward after the trauma of sexual abuse. So um, I've also worked with the National Voting Rights Museum in Selma, Alabama, which is one of the mothering places of the civil rights movement. And I've worked with, I still currently work with Bridge Crossing Jubilee, which is the annual commemoration of celebrating the Voting Rights Act and the Selma to Montgomery marches. And basically, uh, also, I've worked with one of the biggest um, law firms, civil rights law firms in um, Alabama. So <laughs> basically, kind of living in Selma, Alabama, you know, which is a very historical city and getting to be close to and talk to a lot of people who were involved in the civil rights movement. So I just kind of put my ear to their hearts and listened. So I learned a lot. Mm. Thank you for that. Yeah, I appreciate that work that you're doing, um, you know, historically still up until today, and you're continuing to thrive and expand and bring in, you know, bigger and better and just continuing to, to really reach out and make a difference in your community. And um, really seeing you come into like your voice and your power and your influence has just been super, super amazing as a part of our journey together. And something that um, we were talking about before before we started recording today, um, you mentioned that there were some women, um, you know, we were, we were kind of looking at this through a historical lens. 
um, and bringing, I mean, educating me right on the spot, like, hey, Rachel, what about these people? If we go all the way back to these civil rights marches, the men even then were really being highlighted and talked about, and then women weren't. And you mentioned a couple of women, Amelia Boyden, Annie Cooper, and Marie Foster. And so maybe we can just even start there. Like if we start through the historical lens of um, the civil rights movement and what was happening then such that women still weren't really being highlighted or brought into the conversation? Well, uh, one of uh, Miss Amelia Boynton, who just uh, recently passed in 2015, she lives to be 104, um, her and uh, Marie Foster, they are two women that I admired. And actually, I lived on Marie Foster Street in Selma, Alabama, and I had no idea who she was. And so I started working for the National Voting Rights Museum, and I'm just going through the museum looking, and behold, I see her dress. And her dress is in the museum with the, her shoes, and the blood is still on her shoes. She has the hose, the hose is still in her dress with blood on it, where she was one of the marchers that was beaten in 1965 in Selma, Alabama, trying to cross the bridge. So she was one of the front people in that march along with Amelia Boynton who has famous pictures all over the web where she was beaten where they had to basically carry her out she couldn't stand so this was um uh you know so when I saw these women and how active they were in the movement and being part of the courageous eight as part of the ones who invited Dr. King to Selma Alabama so they were already working in this movement mm -hmm. you know what I they were already very active and doing a lot of work, but they, they, they don't get the recognition, you know, that others, you know, that the males would get. So I just kind of, when I was looking at that, I was just kind of like, oh, wow, you know, how come I didn't see this in the history book? You know what I mean? So yeah. it's just a lot of unsung heroes that I um, met and encountered who was doing a lot of work with the movement. And they were even risking their lives to be beaten. They were marching. They were leaders. So that's part of uh, why those names came up for me. Thank you, Lydia. I think it's so critical. And, you know, one of the things that I noticed as I was, you know, sitting with the idea of exploring this topic and, and where the intersection is of trauma and, and how that exists between the Me Too movement and the Black Lives Matter movement. I wonder if we could talk a little bit about the pros and cons, because, you know, to be very honest, there's a, there's a part of me as a white woman that, that tiptoes around this in, at times of trying to look for parallels. Um, I think there can be pros, I think there can be cons, and um, I think it would be helpful if we even just articulate that piece like what where are the intersections what do we see um overlapping but also what do we need to take into account as very distinct and different so that we honor each of these movements as their own thing what are your thoughts about that um well one of the intersections i definitely see is uh they're both uncomfortable topics for people definitely hey. <laughs> right <laughs> Yeah, and I think it's um, you know, I was I I was actually thinking about something, Rachel, and I was thinking about, you know, how a lot of uh, long-term sexual abuse survivors, how it's like when you kind of 
bringing up what happened to you, even though this is your horror and you had to live this. It's almost like, hey, you putting the secrets of the family on display. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? You dishonoring the family by telling what's going on. So now it's making the whole family uncomfortable. And it's, I kind of feel the same way about the Black Lives Matter movement. You know, when we're bringing up the history of what happened and, hey, this is still hurting us and this is long-term, really, it's, it's long-term, it's abusive, you know? So it's like, hey, now you're bringing up the secrets of the family and we don't want to deal with this. Mm, you know what I mean? Yes. So what I watched between Black Lives Matter and Me Too movement, I watched a lot of people wait, ready for it to go away. <laughs> you know what I mean? So they were literally, mm. you know, because we have put the secrets of the, the family of America and the fa- right. or the secrets of the family of our abuse on display. And so now everybody's uncomfortable. So they're kind of two subjects I see that's very hard for people to deal with. I think that's such a brilliant point. Yeah that we are seeing a stripping away, an unwillingness to just pretend something very similar that we saw, you know, back in the 70s when women were coming forward more, when Courage to Heal was beginning to, you know, written, I think Courage to Heal was in the 80s, right? And there was this, um, you know, drive to say, we're not going to pretend. We're not going to just act like everything is okay here, that the way that we're being treated is fine, just fine. And here in a very collective way, we're championing the same messaging um, to support, um, you know, pulling away all of this, you know, I think this has been for me one of the biggest pieces that I've been paying, that I've been seeing happening, which is this space in which we've wanted to believe that we are this country where all of these things are actually happening. Women are treated well. Black people are treated well. Aren't we just the greatest country in the world? But we're, we're having a reckoning right now with that because all of that pretending is falling apart and it is making people really uncomfortable and people don't necessarily know what to say. People are afraid of like tripping up, saying the wrong things. And, um, and, but yet we're being called to find our voice in the midst of all of this. For me, that's one thing that I see as a thread of commonality is finding our voice, finding our power in the space of being able to stand up for what really matters to us. Mm-hmm. And using our ability to listen. You know what I mean? Because, you know, for me, being a long-term sexual assault survivor and people just kind of saying, well, what can I do? Could you listen? You know what I mean? Instead of just wanting my pain to go away, just listen. You know what I mean? And even with racism, if we just listen, you know what I mean? Because they are, both sides have issues about it. You know what I mean? So we can just listen. You know what I mean? And that's one of the, definitely one of the pros that, you know, I think that one part of the reason both movements blew up so big was because people just wasn't listening. Mm-hmm. You know, and it just came forward with a force that is like in your face, like because this is not just 10 people. This is not just 20 people. This is not just 15 people. These are millions of people who are telling you, hey, this is happening. Yeah. So I think that's very That's a sound, such a sound piece of advice. I think there's a lot of white angst around, like, how do I fix it? How do I solve it? Oh, my gosh, I feel so bad and so guilty. So what do I do? And in some ways, yes, please get involved, you know, activate yourself, 
use your privilege for good. But at the same time, uh, I what I heard and what you just said is like, be careful about trying, like stampeding over the pain that's there. Just as we as survivors, when we come forward with our story, we don't want somebody to just say, oh, get over it already. Oh, that was a long time ago, right? Yeah. Okay, well, let's just fix it up and make it pretty again real quick. Like we have to have the time to really sit in the pain and in the recognition of it and in the acknowledgement of it before we can find that space. And that requires listening. That requires being willing to hear each other's stories. Mhm, and you know, even when you talk talked about you know just taking time to sit in the pain, you know, I think about as a sexual assault survivor, you know how for so long it took me so long to even come into um the real connection of what I was feeling, mm-hmm. and I couldn't even articulate or I didn't have the words because I went through so many different emotions. And then when there came a time for those emotions to start pouring out, I went through my moments of, you know, anger, rage, and, you know, just all of that. Because now I'm totally realizing what I've been a victim of, you know, and it's been with, with racism, you know, so many times, you know, you've experienced it, but because you have to keep going, you don't have time to process it. You just have to keep going. You have to keep moving. Yeah. And sometimes you just, you could, you constantly see it as blatantly in your face. Even when I go to a doctor, you know, some people may have to worry about, hey, let me just find the best doctor. But I have to look and say, okay, can I find a good doctor and one who's going to treat me right because of the color of my skin or who's going to just look at me like I don't want to touch you because, you know, you're going, you do things that we experience so it's so I have that on my back as well so it's like I'm trying to and for me also being an abuse survivor when I go to a gynecologist I have to also say well you know do they have bedside manner you know because are they gonna offend me with the way that they come in the room you know so I have to so with some people just like let me go to the OBGYN well I have to let them know ahead of time you know hey I'm an abuse survivor right (laughs) Right. So you're going to need people to handle me like this. And, of course, you get those who are willing to listen, who understand. You know what I mean? But then yeah. if you have those who are insensitive to your pain, then they're not. It's going to be a worse experience for me. So yeah. that's so what you're saying about listening. It's, it's a great point. Mm. Something you said um, there that made me think about um, a workshop I was in. Um, gosh, maybe about three or four years ago, um, that was around um, trauma-informed practices and how to use them for yourself, of course, but then also how to take them back to your clients and these sorts of things. And during that weekend, um, we were doing an exercise around safety, and the facilitator was asking us to think about a time in our life where we felt safe. And after the exercise, one of the women in the group spoke up and said, this this exercise has made me really, really angry. Um, As a black woman in America, there are very few spaces and places where I feel safe. And, um, And the entire weekend really became a conversation about race. And it was uncomfortable, Ladia, like, man, it was tough. And what I noticed happening quite a bit was this desire, particularly among the white folks to find this space of like, but you know, we're all human. We all have experiences that are in common. And that just was not landing very well. 
And one of the things that I'm hearing in our conversation is there's this place in which we can find commonality, but we have to really be mindful about the places in which our experience, uh, experiences diverge, right? Like, yes, you and I, as both having had experiences of sexual trauma, have to navigate a, a conversation with an OBGYN differently than a woman who has not, but there's an additional piece of the puzzle there for you that is not there for me. And so for me, it's always this interplay of where can we find the commonality, not as a way to dismiss right. the unique experience, but as a way to find alignment so that we can come up with common solutions, but how can we still keep acknowledging the places in which our experiences diverge? Because I think mm -hmm. if we lose that piece, then it starts to sound like kind of a pad answer and I don't know, what, what's your thought about that? You... I, I, I totally agree. And and with um with sexism, racism, I noticed it co it comes up, you know what I mean? Because even, you know, going back to what we were talking about with um, you know, about um, you know, kind of about black women kind of fault, you know, being the afterthought, you know. I have actually talked to some of my male, <laughs> you know, civil rights leaders who are actually out here and they're protesting and they're sending me the videos and stuff. And I'm saying, hey, you know, you didn't include women right here. You didn't make this statement. And so I go and I tell my, say my point to them and they'll come back like, give me these names, give me this. And I think, I think going back to listening, being willing to listen, being willing to hear, to see how we can change that. Mm -hmm. You know, so how we can be inclusive because, you know, you may think you're including a person, but it's a, or, or a, um, a, a different, uh, a section of people, but they may feel unincluded. You know what I mean? So you can't say to me, Hey, I'm including you and I don't feel included, you know? So you got to listen to me if I tell you, I don't feel included to what you're saying. Yeah. And so I, you know, and going back to, and I'm I'm drawing on both, you know, because even where you didn't feel like you fit in certain places um, as being a black woman, you know, I also think about how I was the outcast because I was the, the person who was sexually abused. So sometimes when I came to the family reunions or I came around certain things, I kind of was the outcast, you know what I mean? I was treated differently because yeah. that stigma was on me, you know what I mean? So now I am the person who's looked at or the person who, you know, I really don't want her to come because she's going to make everybody uncomfortable. Mm. You know what I mean? So I've had to kind of face that on both ends. So even though I'm the one that has experienced the injustice, I'm still making everyone else uncomfortable because I talked about it or because I spoke out about it. Right, right. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. So, you know, we are, are we ourselves are intersections of all sorts of different experiences, right? And so we're holding that. Even if others can't see it on the surface um, or recognize it, we ourselves are, are holding this experience plus that experience plus this experience. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I remember I was talking to a friend run time and, and talking about my nephew who's biracial and talking about the fear that I was having about his, he lives in Ferguson, Missouri. Hello. And, you know, like when all of that was happening, you know, experiencing that fear of like, oh my gosh, like, you know, this child that I love, right. I consider him, you know, my more than my nephew. I really parent him. 
And I remember this backlash of, no, you can't feel that. Why would you feel that? Mm-hmm. You don't understand it. You don't get it. Mm-hmm. And, and so these places in which, you know, I don't know what I want to say about, more about that, Lizzie. I guess there's a frustration, I think, that we feel in the space of, can you see my story? Can you see my experience? Um, both in and outside of the context mm-hmm. of what this physical being represents. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, does that come up for you? Does that resonate with you? Do you? All the time. And I, you know, a lot of what it feels like to me that people have up is a defense mechanism. Yeah. And it's all like it's such a defense that, you know, at any shape, form, or fashion, that I have to like hear you and it's going to put a crack in my armor, I'm automatically offended and I want to set mm, you down. So yeah. you, or your feelings are not validated to me. And I think if, you know, even with me being a person um, with sometimes going back, confronting some of the people who, you know, abuse me, mm. I would, you know, I had to let them know up front you know, I'm not here to tear you down. I'm not here to do X, Y, Z. And from there, we was able to have a conversation because they immediately jumped off defensive. You know what I mean? And they thought I was literally coming on the attack. And see, that's the other side of it. We have to make sure that we're not coming on the attack because, and I was very clear about my agenda. My agenda that I want here is healing. You Mm. know what I mean? Not for Mm. me to, and it's the agenda that I want between us needs to be healing you know so I, that's what i'm here for that's my purpose it's not to tear you down it's not to hang you out to dry it's not to tell you about all of the things that you've done against me and how i you know i want mm. you to own your responsibility and i'm gonna even own my responsibility you know what i mean for allowing this to fester for so long and because i want you to be accountable for your actions and i can be accountable for mine then we can move forward but if we keep seeing each other as a threat, like you see me as coming to you as a threat and I see you coming to me as a threat, then we're going to always be, you know, defensive. And because of, I think uh, a lot of the narratives have been put out here because of the, uh, people that's on the defense. So it's immediately, you know, I was looking at, I think, a article today about where they, where they were still coming up talking about, uh, you know, kneeling in the NFL. And people still taking it to be that the the reason that he did this was because he wanted to disrespect the flag and disrespect the um you know and they're still the point after he said this over and over and over again and even after this is in your face people still saying no he's disrespecting the flag and X Y Z and so he was still missing the point. And so that's because you have people that's on the defense. This is just too hard for them to deal. So I think that part of it is putting taking our defense down and saying, you know, hey, I want to be able to actually hear, you know, what what's being said to see what I can actually do. Yeah. You know, moving from that place instead of moving from a place of I'm already coming in this. I'm going to listen to this much, but you're not going to tell me X, Y, Z. When you come with that type of mindset, you already coming with your ears stopped up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
It reminds me a little bit. I was just watching this um, show, Hip Hop Evolution, and it was uh, talking about Africa Bambata and how um, he set up this conversation with all of the street gangs in the Bronx to come and they yelled it out right they were upset they were talking well this is what happened this what happened and this what happened but at the end of that that's when they created this idea of the zulu nation and it became this entire like collective experience where all of that pain and all of those things that had caused people to break apart no longer mattered and they became a community right mm -hmm. And to your point that ultimately what we're trying to do here is live together to support and love each other, to create a, um, a space where everybody can thrive. So we have to get past the, the, the parts of ourselves that are wounded in some ways, like give voice to it, such that we can hear each other more fully, more distinctly. We can hear ourselves in each other. I mean, Latia, I think this came up so much in our conversations when we were working together, right, and in the community group space. Don't we hear all the time sexual abuse survivors say, oh, my gosh, I'm not alone. Mm -hmm. Wow, you feel that way, too. Mm -hmm. And in the space of hearing that, we feel bonded, and therefore we feel invested in each yes. other, right? Yes. Mm hmm and, and going after the cause, you know what I mean? Because we all had that common cause of what we had went through. So it didn't matter. I think uh, in my class, I think we had some people represent every group, you know what I mean? But in the end, we were all experiencing pain. We were all able to connect on levels beyond, you know what I mean? And to me, I felt like I gained sisters, you know what I mean? Because it was, it was, you know what I mean? And right. we had because we were willing to listen to each other we were willing to hear each other right right so in that space where we come into this sisterhood part of what I want to really get at today is how the system of patriarchy is still at play here because you know patriarchy is not white men it's a system in which it ranks people right Yes, they put white men at the top, and then this, and then this, and then this, right? And so now we're seeing this patriarchy playing out. I mean, this is my opinion. I want to hear if, if you agree where, um, gosh, how do I even say this with sensitivity? Like this hierarchy that black men are, you know, above black women. This is all bullshit and nonsense, but this is the, the socialization that we've received. Like, do you think that that's at play? Or do you think that's just one piece of the puzzle that's at play? Why women, black women are being, as the article named it, treated as an afterthought in the Black Lives Movement. What do you think are the factors that are contributing to that? Patriarchy, something else, all the yeah. above? Yeah, it's, it's exactly. It's exactly that. And I think it's, it's just um, because I think with the fact that we as women, we also face sexism. You know what I mean? So if we say sexism plus racism, you know, we, we're going to get it on both ends. And, you know, as I was listening to uh, some of the people who are who are doing the Black Lives Matter protest, not the people who started it, because I, I wonder if a lot of them knew it was started by women, like majority women. You know what I mean? So, right. I <laughs> know. Uh, yeah, exactly. So, uh, so um, but I think that in all honesty, I think that uh, women are so used to taking the back role 
You know what I mean? Because that's what we've been trained and that's what we've had to do. So even when we're going back to talking about the civil rights movement, you know, and I think about um, how these women, they didn't get the highlights of other uh, civil rights leaders that the males did. Mm -hmm. And adding to that, you had Ella Baker, you had Fannie Lou Hamer, you had, you know, Claudette Colvin, you know, you had to be like uh, a certain type of, you know, even when I think about with Claudette Colvin, uh, she was the first person to actually sit down on the bus. She was the first person who was actually arrested, but they wanted uh, her image. She didn't fit the image. Oh. You know, 15, she was pregnant, you know what I mean? So oh, she was gosh. like, who was 15 and pregnant so when they wanted Rosa Parks over her so males made that decision you know what I mean so she didn't get the recognition because of she didn't fit the 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 right type of image of what their you know woman should be you know I um and I want to be careful with my words here too but um so um we honored her actually at one of the one of the events I don't Park was the first to do that, but it was actually Claudette Coleman, who was arrested um, for that first. So that's just one, you know, know, males was just like, hey, you know, you don't fit the image, you know what I mean, of of the right type of woman that we need to be the face of this movement. It's not you. So basically, we choose Rosa Parks to do that. And so also when I think about, you know, going on and I think it's, it's, it's going back to how we've always been taught that we had to support, you know, men. We had to support them. We have to just take that back role of cooking, cleaning, you know, yeah. parent, taking care of the home. So I think that's just a role in society that we have, period. And so I question a lot of the times when I saw you know, certain injustices happening towards women. Why wasn't the voice as loud for women, uh, particularly black women, as I saw, you know, it was for the men. You know what I mean? Now, some people make the argument that it was because of, you know, what played out on camera. So I then sent Mm -hmm. some people that went viral of uh, one of the homeless um, black women who was beaten real bad by a police officer. And there was some outrage, but it was nothing like how it was for black males. You know what I mean? And even when I go to, you know, looking at things like domestic violence and how many of them lose their lives and stuff and how it's just never even pretty much an afterthought. It's no outcry. It's no, you know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. No, because we have like high cases of women dying, black women dying in our two cities that I've been, I've lived in from domestic violence. And it's just almost like, and out they deserved it you know what I mean so it's almost like the pain is 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 you know and when I think about um how they were taught to stay in their place and 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 sometimes I get frustrated when I hear them say you don't know what it's like to be a black man in America mm. and saying we understand your pain we don't understand fully your pain but we support you and we're listening to you through your you understand? That's why you're going to see two times the amount of us out here. We're right. going to be protesting. We're going to be on the line. We're going to fight this. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> all see is, you know what I mean, that voice for black women. You know what I mean? Right. So it's like your last. 
And even when I was telling someone, even with the presidency, I said, you know, we saw a black man become president. We saw a woman who, you know, Hillary Clinton, who ran and who still had more votes. Right. I said, I don't think even some of our black men would support a black woman. Mm. <laughs> so that's part of So I feel like we have that that gap there. There's a gap. Yeah. Like this is really fascinating because, you know, one of the things that we're, I think, trying to explore is why, where are the places of divergence, right? And so you hear this languaging of like, white people can't understand the the pain of black people. And then you're adding to the conversation that black women can't understand the pain of black men. Like, what is going on here? Like, why is there a competition? I just don't, is that even the right word? I don't know. But it's like, what is happening such that in order to validate our pain, we have to invalidate the pain of somebody else. Exactly. And that's, and that's going back to, we have to listen to yeah. each other to be willing to heal, you know, cause even as I do, you know how hard it was sometimes me coming from a place of who was taught a lot of feminist uh, ways. So I could just easily dismiss their pain that, you know, mm-hmm. I'm being honest about that yeah. because, pain I've seen women go through but then to actually have to listen and and let my guard down and say oh my god I see where you know we hurting you here I see where this hurts you I see where you feel disrespected by Mm. us here so that in turn made me see myself and change my language you know what I mean and I think that's an important factor that you have to go back and hear and listen. And even as I was having a conversation with a friend of mine, I said, you know, when I when I think about black women and even when you're going back to slavery, you know, when you're seeing these women stripped on the block and basically fondled, and then they could even be raped on a plantation in front of people and it was no justice, wasn't no police to mm-hmm. go through. And your man couldn't help you, your husband couldn't help you. So, but yet after you had to experience that trauma, you still had to go home and take care of your husband. So you still had to put your feelings on the back burner. You still had to kill what was inside of you because Mm. you had to do what you had to do for your household. And even, um, I think they said, even where we had a 74% uh, rate of uh, single mothers, you know what I mean? Because we don't get to disappear. We don't get to run, you know? still have to take care of our responsibility. So it's always putting your feelings on the back burner and you always have to take on the whole situation of others. And then because of what our black men face in America, you know, if we feel like we've been violated in some type of way because of how black communities don't trust the police either. So you like, well, we don't want them to die because of it. So it's it's leaving you to take more. So we're also called stupid a lot. You know what I mean? And I've I've seen uh, blogs and how certain protests is done uh, in racist manner, talking about how dumb black women are to stick with black men when they do this and call us this and blah, blah, blah. But we, we're also in situations where we don't want to turn them over into situations where it's going to cost them their life. It's going to jeopardize, you know, because we still right. in situations. And then as mothers, we also have pain because remember, we also raised in these black boys. We're also, they're yeah. growing up men. So we have a whole nother, like, I have to teach my son differently about, you know, the, you know, yeah. the world 
as some people teach theirs. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I'm telling him, watch your face, watch your demeanor, make sure you make contact, always smile. Don't just walk at night where people where you look suspicious. So I have to teach him these things because I, I got a big football player looking son. And, right. and so they <laughs> like my nephew is a big guy. It's like, um, yeah, right. But I have to do that with one person in my family, right? This is your community, right? Mm-hmm. Your collective family. There's mm-hmm. so much in what you're saying, Latia. I need like five hours to unpack everything that you just said there. Because there's a whole hell of a lot that you're articulating and that you're identifying for why we see the repetition and why we see this profound gap um, in how black women are acknowledged and named in this movement. Mm-hmm. I'm just sitting with that for a minute. That is a hell of a lot to be carrying. You know, when you wake up in your day, and that's there. And the fact that you can't call on the people, there was this, um, this is maybe a silly reference, but Empire, there was a scene in Empire where, you know, the, the son was beating up his mom, he was, you know, raging, and uh, Cookie Lion, um, oh God, Taraja, oh, what's her name, what's her name, Henderson? Um, she calls the police, and that, was the biggest part of the entire fight. Like, I can't believe you called the police here to my house. And I remember sitting there just like really in full recognition, like this is one of the ways in which my life is very different from Mm -hmm. the lives of people of color, right? Mm -hmm. That you have to consider, do Mm -hmm. I even call? Mm -hmm. That there's this place in which you have to educate, you have to raise your children, you have to have conversations with your children you know, about things that are just really so ridiculous that we have to even do. But we still are, to this day, having these conversations. Man. And I think we have to continue to change with the times as well, because I even remember that this thing came up at the school where a lot of the guys were getting in trouble for what they call sexting or sending Mm -hmm. by pictures mm-hmm. of their black parts and you know but this wasn't you know but at the time you had so many parents who still had no idea you know that this was even a thing right. you know because you know the fullness of what cell phones was doing because some of us were still on flip phones you know the <laughs> <laughs> children get in trouble yeah and i came upset and I said well no we got to have a way to educate them because a lot of them didn't even see what they were doing was wrong they didn't even understand you know so it's okay so now you know we have to change what we're saying you know what I mean and include this because you know it was a lot of guys they were in trouble and they didn't even see what they had done wrong like she sent me hers and I sent a pair of pictures of mine but now they were in trouble for um, child pornography, even though they're all high school kids the, mm-hmm. around the same. So it was like, okay, so now we have to educate and have this conversation and add this rule, and you know. So that was, um, yeah. So it's like with with our children, our conversations are ever evolving because these are things yeah. that they would get in trouble for. Like literally, they were ready to prosecute a lot of the kids. You know what I mean? Yeah, right. They, 
They were, and, and, and you knew these, some of these kids literally did not know that this was this type of crime they had right. committed. That it was even a problem. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that education piece is so, so important. And, you know, I think for what I appreciate about the times that we're living in is that there are conversations that are happening. I've never in my life um, as a white woman had as much access to um, conversations, to trainings, to materials, to resources. Like there literally is no excuse. <laughs> There's no excuse um, to be ignorant on this topic. Um, and of course, it's tough because there are just people in this world who are going to listen to our conversation and find everything wrong with it, right? Like those, but those are not the minds we need to change. It's similar to what we're facing with this upcoming election, right? We don't need to change the hardcore Trump supporters. We're not going to get those folks. But the people who are questioning, the people who are wondering, the people who are thinking, hey, maybe the way that I've been taught all my life maybe that's not actually how it is. Mm -hmm. And so if we can reach out to them and we can get education happening there and change hearts and minds there, right? I mean, if I even just look at myself, I grew up in a small town in Oklahoma. It was a segregated town. I didn't even realize it was a segregated town until I went to high school. We had one. And I walked in on the first day of high school. I was like, who are all these new people, right? And they're people of color. But my first register with them was new people because I've been going to school with the same kids. But it wasn't until I started hanging out with um, the kids who were new to me that I started to understand, holy shit, your experience in this town is very, very different from mine. And I'm still learning, right? And I still have a long ways to go to get you know, my head wrapped around all of the things that are there. But it's absolutely possible you know, for people to, and just as we're trying to change the conversation about sexual assault, about incest, bringing those conversations to the table and helping people, parents get educated, people get educated about how to look for the signs, what to do, how to respond. You know, we're, we're, we're tackling so many things, but there's so much crossover that I think it's just really important that we understand that a lot of the things that we do over here, we can bring and we can use over here. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. And, um, you know, just, you know, I think about, you know, even with us, and I obviously can always go back to our sexual abuse um, yeah. things, you know, so much had been untackled for so long. Mm -hmm. So, of course, you get to a certain place, you do feel like it's overwhelming, like, I got to deal with all of this. You mean yeah. all of this? that I had right here is not right you mean I could have been doing xyz so it can seem overwhelming but you know we was taught in our support group you know we take one day at a time you know what I mean we take on the issue at a time and that's how we deal and we make sure that we're not contributing to that you know what I mean and that's one of the greatest things that you can do is make sure you're not contributing you know what I mean that's that's um but that was a good point you brought up. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're just full of good points today, aren't we? I think we're figuring it out. No, I mean, that's, it's so true that a lot of times in the face of something that feels really, really big, we get overwhelmed and then we just shut down and there's no way forward. And so we just keep doing what we've always done. 
but it's really my, uh, great to just think about what's the smallest thing that I can do when it comes to healing from sexual trauma? What's the smallest thing that I can do to change the conversation about race in my life, even if it's just with yourself or with your community, with your partner, with your spouse, with your family? Um, where are your points of influence? And you don't have to be, you know, a huge, you know, standing on the stage in front of millions to have an impact. You can you can make a change in your own life and in the lives of those who are right there around you. Awesome. So, Latia, I, you know, man, I really came on the call today, you know, thinking that we would solve all of the world's problems. <laughs> <laughs> We will have to do a year of these, probably. <laughs> Goodness me. Oh, my gosh. You know, but what I'm really is just so profoundly connected to you is just the importance of having the conversations. Even if we don't necessarily come to a place of solution, which is so uncomfortable. It's so uncomfortable, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But I think the theme and the thread that's really come through in our conversation today is that we just have to listen to each other. We have to hear each other's stories be able to listen from an open place without that defensiveness, without trying to outdo each other and to find the places in which we can stand together so that we can go out, particularly as women, because we are marginalized. And if we can get our shit together and our voices collectively together, world, watch out. What would you like to say, final thoughts for our listeners, anything you're present to from our conversation? Well, uh, one of the things that, um, and I, I guess I kind of uh, was hoping we would have got to the common things that, you know, that we hear people say. That's oh, let's do that. We can do that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let's make sure we make I had that. a lot of those. <laughs> yeah. Let's go. You know, I wanted to say, you know, one of the two of the things that I saw happening with the Me Too movement and the Black Lives Matter was people like fighting to change the mission and fighting to change the, you know, and that also got in the heads of people. And even though you could hear the founder saying, no, this is not what this is about. This is for this reason. Mm -hmm. You still saw people trying to fight to change it and then, you know, starting to make a mockery of it. Yeah. You know, so even when I think about Black Lives Matter, this it, it came about, you know, because of police brutality. It was never saying that, um, you know, all lives didn't matter. You yeah. know, it, it came from basically saying that, you know, Black Lives Matter also. You right. know what I mean? But people yeah. continue to fight to make the narrative be about something negative so that they could, didn't have to deal with it. Yeah. So it ain't so it could anger more people. And then even with the Me Too movement, she kept saying, No, this vision this vision was this came about um with you know, for women of color. I founded it for this reason and you know, yeah. so that they could have empathy. This was about the victim. Mm -hmm. And they made this they villainized it, making it to be like a weapon to take men down. Right. So, you know, right. I, I watched that happen with both movements you know mm -hmm. and so some of the things that I really that's two things I saw in common because again those are two very uncomfortable topics yep. to talk about and I saw even I I even saw a lot of women who were upset about the mm -hmm. Me Too movement, which mm -hmm. was shocking to me which wasn't really shocking because yep. you know when I think about a lot of situations 
where um, women, you know, they actually were sometimes, you know, even within my own family, some of them were more angry at me than the actual perpetrator. Yeah, <laughs> So because right. I outed, you know, I told, I outed the family. Yeah, exactly. So, um, and I wanted to, you know, about the common things, you know, I was thinking about um, one of the things, just get over it. You know, whew, that word, I, I hate to hear it about racism and I hate to hear it about sexual abuse. That is yeah. one common word that I just don't like to hear. Yeah. Like, literally, um, when I think of long-term trauma, you know what I mean? And I was having this conversation with a um, with a friend of mine and she had just, you know, she was a victim of just someone raping her when she got in her early 20s. And so she didn't understand a lot of where I was coming from. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. I've also been through rape, but I was also molested. So there were certain things about my situation she just did not understand. She couldn't relate to. Right. You know? And when, um, so we both had trauma. We both had experiences. But there was like a long-term trauma that I had. So she yeah. couldn't understand why I kind of had, I guess what they call Stockholm syndrome around some of my abusers. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? She couldn't mm-hmm. understand how I could be around them, how I could see them, how I could just still love my family or, or, or a particular family members after, you know, certain things was done to me. Right. But when I think about the long-term trauma and when you're not in touch with it, and then you suddenly start to get in touch with it. And now I'm dealing with these feelings. And now I'm realizing what happened mm-hmm. to me. And I and now I'm at a place where I'm trying to define what kind of woman I want to be and how I want to deal with it. And I'm going somewhere with this. So I thought about I remember I was at one of the Jubilees. And before he, he died, Reverend F.D. Reese, who was one of the courageous eight, he spoke. And he talked about, you know, when he was, um, you know, he was a victim of racism, a time when he was slapped. And he said when he was slapped, you know, he couldn't fight back because he was, you know, a part of a nonviolent protest. And he said that slap made him a man because that slap made him make a decision on what kind of man did he want to be, you know. And it, And I thought about that, like, wow, you know in the face of violence, in the face of trauma, in the face of racism, what kind of person do I want to be? You know what I mean? So I can become a person to fight back. I can, I can come, become a person to fight the wrong way, or I can become a person who can fight the right way. So I can take the time to learn how to communicate my voice mm-hmm. in an effective manner and yeah. not give over to the hatred and the anger. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. So because if I give myself over to the hatred and the anger, I feel like I have become, I have now allowed that same thing to enter into me. And now yes. the very thing that I was fighting against, the very thing that violated me, I'm now violating others. And I, I don't want to be that woman. And, you know, I remember Dr. Bernard Lafayette, he said, you know, violence is the language of the inarticulate. You know, mm. people can learn how to fight quicker than they will learn how to talk. 
Yes. So it's easy for us to shut people down in a violent manner. You know what I mean? Because yeah. we don't want to talk to them. We don't want to communicate. So I know one of the things you said, what we learned is one of the most powerful tools we have is to listen, but to also learn how to effectively communicate what's going on with us. You know, and that's why I do like this, because here it is that you're you're white, I'm black, but we're joined through love. Both of these causes have touched us and affected us deeply. So rather than, you know, me coming to fight you or you coming to fight me, we're both like, how can we, you know, move forward in this? How can we help other people see and, and be able to help and support each other? So that's... um. You know, so even in getting over it, when you're dealing with long-term trauma, and I keep hearing people, you know, they make things, say things like with sexual abuse victims, well, why didn't you say something earlier? You know, why did you wait this long to talk about it? You know, and we, so that's why you should get over it. It was so long ago. And then out here with racism, people say, well, it was 400 years ago. It was slavery. You should just get over it. And I, I'll tell them, I said, you know, I'm looking at women who are 50, 60 years old still dealing with the effects of how they were sexually abused. Because guess what? You can't give their virginity back. You can't give what you've taken back. You can't give it back to them. It's a fight. We rediscover it. We, we take it back ourselves, but you can't give it back to me. And just like with slavery, how do you think it was just 400 years ago when we go all the way back to we just got the Voting Rights Act signed 55 years ago, right. and it was just only extended for another 25 years, which is still another insult. It's not permanent. It's they signing it to extend it every 25 years. Isn't that and crazy? So, oh. oh, so and I said we still have grandmothers and grandfathers yes. who was infected with syphilis. You understand? We still have grandmothers. My mother couldn't vote. So how do you think that this is still not a sensitive issue? And when I think about trauma, I think about and Rachel, you can understand this to be the best mother, to be the best sister, to be the best daughter you could be. You know, you have to you had to face that you needed healing from your trauma, you know? And I think for us to be the best that we can be, we have to face that we need healing from the trauma because it affects us. It affects us 20 years later, 30 years later, if it's not dealt with, you know, it can still affect us negatively. And when I think about the trauma of, you know, African-American people, and I'm looking, I'm saying, well, wow, when, even if you go back and you say, well, the slaves were free, did you offer them counseling for all of the trauma, trauma. that they went through? Did you go back and get their children and put their families back together? Did you go back and get their grandparents? You can't give it back. You yeah. can't give it back. So the only thing that we can do is acknowledge what happened, face it, and we can try to heal and move forward. And that's, that's just the stance that I choose to take. Like, I choose to stay grounded in love no matter what. You know what I mean? So I take the stand to, I have to hear it. You know what I mean? And I have to face it. And even though this hurt me, all people didn't do this. You know what I mean? This, all people didn't do this. And some people just fell up under a system that this was the way it had to be. They had to follow the system. You know what I mean? So I understand. So I think if we're communicating on all levels, you know, mm -hmm. I think that this will. Uh, so I want to reiterate that point, too. It's very important that we learn how to communicate. Yes. And that is why everybody, Mrs. Latia Parker, give me your last name again. 
Stewart. Stewart needed to be here today. <laughs> that. That right there. I'm going to have to listen back and, like, take it in again. But what I can tell you that I'm so present to you is exactly these two calls of action. Please listen. Please get your ego. Please get your prejudice. Please get your pain out of the way so you can listen. And please communicate. Talk about your pain. Talk about your experience from a place of here's what's so, from a place of love, from a place of let's hear each other, from a place of nonviolence so that we can love, so that we can heal. Because I am 100% on the same page with you. At the end of the day, this is trauma. This is trauma being activated in our world and trying to heal in a very global, in a very collective way. On, but it's the individual's healing that will add up to collective change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Mm. That's true. Latia, you are always a beacon of light, of hope, of love. Your voice is extremely powerful. Your viewpoint, your experience, um, and I am amazingly blessed to have you in my world. Um, you know, I called up Latia like three days ago, was like, can you hop on and have this conversation with me? And she was like, yes. And so your willingness, your availability, is it's, it's all with deep appreciation. And I just thank you so much for this time with you today. Do you have any final words for folks listening? Yes, I just want to say that um, I think if we want to see our nation move to a place of healing, just reiterating what you said, we do. We have to get to a place where we can communicate and we have to get to a place that we can hear. And I think those are the two main things, you know, and even as people are asking the question, why so much violence? Why so much, you know, because sometimes when people are unheard and they they yeah. feel like if they can't articulate what's being said, this not that we condone it, you know what I mean? Yeah saying this is just a part of you know the rage and you know exactly. that people feel you know what I mean that they've been holding inward for so long but even I want to say to those you know stop what you're doing because we don't want to hurt other people we don't want to hurt innocent people that's not our that's not the agenda you know what right. I mean right. so even when we put up these signs and we we protest we need to make sure that in our hearts we are being led by love and we are really being led by unity you know what i mean and yeah. not being consumed so consumed with the cause that it has consumed us and we are becoming the very thing that we're fighting against and that's what we don't want to do so Yes, agreed, agreed, agreed. So I hope all of you listening today will really take some time to to sit back and consider, you know, where are the intersections for you in your own journey, in your families, in your communities? How can you listen? How can you communicate? Look for resources. Again, there are so many things that are available. So if this is something new that you're exploring and trying, whether it's sexual trauma or racial trauma, 
you know, um, go out, look for those resources. And of course, thank you for being here and being a part of our community, the Beyond Surviving. And just thank you for tuning in and joining us. Um, you can pop over to rachelgrantcoaching.com to learn more about sexual abuse recovery coaching and check out the other resources there. Please be sure to subscribe to our podcast and come back next time because we have so much more to share. And until then, take good care of you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. How would you like to look 5 years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking 5 years younger at 6 months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.